Playback. Welcome to Made in the 80s, podcast about the 80s by people who were made in the 80s. I'm Shalia, and we have... Tim. Kendon. And special guest, friend Manny. from T-Town, Manny. Welcome to Club South End. 253, what's up? Uh, okay, so what is up? What we are doing, the most important thing we're doing today, do the right thing. Today's voting day. Did you guys vote? Yeah, I did. And then voted. Here's your sticker. Ooh, I voted. I got a sticker. You guys can see it because we're sitting in the dark since it's the hottest day of the summer. Um, cool. Yeah, that was fun. Uh, and it's it's perfect for this movie. It turns out um, about exercising your voice, do the right thing, and vote. We're going to talk about that in a little bit. I'll put the timestamp in the show notes. So, folks, if you want to um, just listen to us talk about that, we will get to it in a little bit. Um, but first, let's go. Do you guys want to go back to the 80s? Do some 80s trivia? Oh, man. I'm ready. Go, go right ahead. All right. 40% of what 1989 James Cameron film was shot underwater in giant tanks? Abyss. Correct. I'm sorry. I should I should have yeah. given you guys a chance. But I know Tim would have jumped on it if I hadn't have. Right, Tim? I would have let you have it. <laughs> There's only one James Cameron movie that came out then. Like, it's not... <laughs> More importantly, do, does anybody know what important technological advance was used that was going to become important in his next major movie? Anti-gravity uh, room? Underwater cameras? Oh, you're thinking Titanic, aren't you? It's the, uh, it's the way that they digital, the digital water being that they created, they ended up using that same computer technology to create the T-1000. Oh, word. Yeah. Okay. I'm learning. I it. 1989. All right. Um, well, another question. What planet sounds like the name of the band that told us to pump up the volume? <laughs> No I loved that movie. I Neptune? loved Christian Slater. <laughs> I, the the I, don't the band. I mean, I, I know what I know what planet I would say if I was still in the eighties. Is it Neptune? Uranus. <laughs> incorrect. Incorrect. It's Mars. The group went by M A R R S. That was a great that was a great arena song though, but yeah, I wouldn't know. What 80s era school program encouraged kids to read books for the chance to win free pizza from Pizza Hut? Ooh. Oh my God, I know that. It's not the more you know, but I know, oh God, I got free pizza all the time. And it was the best too, because it was the little ones. It was the personal pizzas. So repeat the question again. What was that again? What 80s era school program encouraged kids to read books for the chance to oh win free God. pizza from Pizza Hut? I don't know. I can't. Uh, on, I'm gonna break. hate. I'm gonna hate it when I find out the answer, because I. Oh, too old for this. Scholastic book club. No, book it. 
Oh. Oh, wow. Fuck it. The Scholastic Book Club was a thing. It was. It was. Kinda. But what did it do? I don't remember. But yeah. I remember like you picked a certain amount of books and you got like points or something. I don't know. That's how I read a lot. Granted, that was more in the 90s, but it could have started in the 80s. Yeah. All right, cool. That was the 80s. Let's come back to the 20s and check in. Do you guys have any news? What's going on? Uh, yeah. Mulan is going to be streaming on Disney+. Plus. $30, right? $30, September 4th. That's uh, a month away. That's a month away. Mulan, really? I've been waiting for them to decide to do this. I will, I will absolutely go to the theater when there's time, I promise. But please let me watch Mulan. <gasps> no if it's going to be a 24-hour rental, 48 hours, how they're going to actually get people who have the service to purchase it on the platform. No one knows how that's going to work. They just said it's coming to the streaming platform September 4th. And so far, all we know is that is the only thing they're doing this with. So we don't know. Do they have built in a way for you to, to pay for individual content? No. Huh. <laughs> I guess we'll, I guess this is going to be an ongoing news topic, huh? We'll find out how they, they, you know, they update the app. Imagine with some sort of way for you to click on it and it just comes out of your bill every month, $30. That's unfortunate, right? Because I don't know that that platform, the point was to have that as a thing. Like you, and now it's started. And for folks who bought into it to be like, I'm paying $5 a month for the service. Now there's like, like premium content that you have to pay extra for at the same time nobody well nobody but the cdc predicted covid or (laughs) so you know if it's successful i mean success is who knows what that looks like with mulan if it's successful in whatever eyes for disney i don't know what they're gonna do with their other projects that are done like black widow um, or anything else animated they're pushing out they want to still hold those films until 2021 or what. So we'll see. It'll be fascinating to see what happens the next month. Uh, okay. So any other news that we need to talk about? Or are you guys, can you guys tell me what you've been doing? What's um, going on? I just finished Umbrella Academy season two. Already? And- yeah, man, already. What am I doing? It's a quarantine. I'm home. There's so much to watch. That's all I'm saying. Hey, I finished it. I enjoyed it. It's, great. it's worth a watch if you like season one. Uh, it's a little more of the same. Great cast. Um, bummed. Supposed to do interviews for Comic-Con, and that got canceled. But uh, if you like, I think you'll like, the, you'll like season two. So do you, um, do you get to know any of the characters better in terms of maybe liking them more yeah. in the second season? And disliking them more, yes. Yes, good. I kind of felt that part of the thing was that they were all, dis- almost all of them were dislikable. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah. Enjoy. I feel like that can carry you for a season, but if you want it to keep going, you've got to have somebody to hold on to. I loved <laughs> the one joke I saw in the uh, the kind of the hype thing or trailer or whatever you want to call it when we were on Netflix. It was like, or is it Netflix? Wherever it was. And he was like, uh, Dude, can ghosts time travel? Yeah. <laughs> like that whole thing with the, with the ghost member was, was funny great. to me. It's great. Cool. So Manny, uh, what have you been up to? You got a show or something you want to share? I've been trying to find new things to watch. Um, what was that show my wa- my wife watched? It's it's almost like the Ozarks, but it's um, Outer Banks. Outer Banks. 
that's the series. So we watched that. I thought it was cute. I've been watching the boys. My my wife's not really into it, but I'm into it. Just again, the violence and everything <laughs> struck to me. Um, it, and I love it because it reminds me of Deadpool, like that kind of stuff. I'm like, that's why I need Wolverine to be like. I'm talking about like, like Logan, like like Logan, the final Logan. I was like, there you go, you got it. That's exactly what you should have done for the rest of these damn movies. And you finally realized it when you made it rated R and you did it correctly. Um, I gotta say though, I liked the I liked half of the Wolverine. Like there was some interesting stuff going on in that half, movie. What half did you like? The first half without the mecha uh, samurai. Yeah, so there's, a, there's a girl with like fun hair, right? I, yeah, I liked one? her. What was her, her mutant power was really interesting too. Being able to see what was going to happen or something like that. I found I her mean, interesting. But that was story-based. I like the story there. Yeah. So anyways. But um, other than that, The Witcher, I'm waiting for, uh, you know, reading about them doing season two. So I'm like super disappointed because I know there's stuff that's supposed to be coming out like this fall and stuff that's getting pushed out. So it's not, it's kind of like hearing that they are starting production is a good thing. So I guess that's the one benefit of people filming in Europe or not in the U S right now, <laughs> since they actually followed the coronavirus guidelines, they can actually live their lives. Um, before that, before moving past Witcher, I'm asked, I wanted to ask if he's read the books. I haven't read the books, Okay. but everything least, is, tell- I've, I had the game. Have you played the I game? Actually, the game I started to play and then life got busy with the kids, but I have the game. And so um, going back in time, playing that. Um, I will say that at least during quarantine, audiobooks are still a thing. And so, you know, like they're not yeah. the same as watching it, right? Like, but yeah. to kind of connect to the story and listen to that until they get production going is at least, at I, least those. I, I do, I do, what I do with series like this, like stuff I know is based off books and I haven't read, like The Boys, for for example, like we talked about, is I actually do go back and look at the backstory. Like not what like the movie characters are, but actually like, okay, what do they actually do in the books or a comic book? Like the kind of like um, books for dummies version or Cliff Note version to get me up to speed. I'm like, oh, okay, this makes sense. Cause you know, you get the whole war about the purists versus like these newcomers. Like what happened with Game of Thrones? Mm-hmm. I tried. I got the book, but I just I'm like, look, man, law school take every took every ounce of reading pleasure out of me. I just if it's if it's not politics related or if it's more than like hundred some pages, uh, I'll get to it. The, aud- <laughs> the audio book per the audio book uh, production of Game of Thrones is pretty great. So yeah, have you tried audio books? I have a couple. I haven't. I have to get my mind there because I, like I said, my go-tos are like kind of like the YouTube, like visual stimulant type deal. Cause for me, audio alone means I'm going to fall asleep in about five seconds, but okay. you know, it's something I'm working on. I, I, that's definitely something I need to do when I start driving again, since I've only so- filled out my gas tank twice in six months. Wow, I'm jealous of you. So my recommendation for you is Preacher. It's a it's a pretty good show, and it's and it's a comic series made by the same guy who does The Boys. I've heard of that one. Good, I'll, I'll look it up. Yeah, that could be a the one with the wife as well. But maybe not. Not if she wasn't into The Boys. 
Maybe. <laughs> what about American uh, Gods? Look up, look up the character Arspace <laughs> slash Asspace, and you'll see the sort of show you're watching. I, I watched it, Shilly. I watched the first season of American Gods, and I'm telling you, one of the best acted scenes to this day is Orlando yeah, when yeah. he was stopping the slaves on a boat. Oh like, yeah, I, I, I go back. I go back and watch that. Like if I watch that, if it pops up in my algorithm, I can spend 30 minutes just rewatching how the hell he acted. Like the whole anger gets shits done line, classic. Like, yeah, I just like to watch that whole scene go, on on Netflix. Yeah. I wanted to go burn things down. I wanted to go burn things down after he said that. I was like, okay, I, I'm mad. Like th- that should be in the Black Lives Matter protest. Like we, we watch this scene right before you go protest. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> so I mean, no. I, that was that's a great book. So I'm gonna just transfer over to to what I've been doing. What have you been um, up to, Kendall? So there's two things I wanted to mention that are upcoming, and one of them is I just got the audio book for. Um, for Sandman and Sandman is written by the same guy who did American Gods. And that was a really good book as well. I really liked American Gods. Um, on Thursday, I've got seven deadly sins finally coming up season four, which uh, Manny, you may not know, but this is my summer of anime. So we're most of the way through full metal alchemist brotherhood. And that's been a lot of fun. Um, and that's actually, you might like that as if you're into anime at all, but hey, for, Nice. DDZ Super. Um, so, but my, the main thing I want to talk about is uh, t- a couple of my friends from graduate school who we're close with um, for my birthday, wanted we were going to do a game night. And I was like, you know, have you guys ever done D&D? And they were like, have we? <laughs> so we ended up, uh, it, it, it actually took a lot of time to create our characters. Um, but there's a game, uh, like a video game version called Fantasy Games. Way, huh? Fantasy Grounds. Fantasy, Fantasy Grounds. That's right. Yeah. You can get it through like Steam, which is a online PC uh, gaming distribution platform. Um, so, anyways, we all got together, uh, about six of us, and we created characters, um, and then fought a enemy that was way too high level for us. But we're going to start the campaign soon. Um, uh, the couple, each one of them, have a have a campaign that they've been working on. So they both can dungeon master and uh, act as dungeon master um, individually for for one of the two campaigns. And you know, kind of a tie-in, right? Because there's so much Dungeons and Dragons references in Stranger Things. Um, but this is my first time playing it. I'm just super familiar because so many games pull from Dungeons and Dragons rule sets. Uh, creatures, classes, all that sort of thing. So it was fun to do it uh, to do it for the first time, um, and I'm looking forward to an ongoing campaign with my friends. Yeah, so that's a thing. We we have now played Dungeons and Dragons, guys. I've pulled Shalia yeah. all the way in. <laughs> big, big Bang Theory, right there. You have you have reached Sheldon status. It's popular now. Like Hollywood actually is is popularizing it. What's what's the one dude from Magic Mike? He's like a super like he's like a super big dungeon master of um for Dungeons and Dragons. And I my wife's one of my wife's um friends, his husband has said that he, he hosts sometimes too. So yep. he's been trying to get me over there to go play. Um so every time so, I hear it, I just keep thinking about the Nintendo game. 
like from way back in the day. Oh, Dungeons and Dragons. Dra- what is it? That one's a different one, but I know what you're talking about. It's got right. a slightly different name. Um, Dragon but, Warrior. Uh, or, yeah, whatever. Um, Vin Diesel's got his D&D character tattooed on like his calf. Really? Yeah. So it's big. And, it's, it's- you're into The Witcher, right? Um, Henry Cavill is really big into that sort of thing as well. And he's really... He's a, in, he's the biggest Hollywood nerd, bro. Like, when he sent the video of him building his computer, oh, I was like, one, he's about to... He already has the women, like, unlocked, and now he's getting the dudes unlocked. <laughs> My friend like, Angelo sent me that video, and I was like... <laughs> I wish you hadn't do, done this because I just built my, my computer like not even two years ago, my newest computer. He's, he's a pretty, he thing? looks like a pretty awesome guy. He looks like a pretty, pretty awesome guy. Um, best Superman since, since Christopher and obviously The Witcher. Uh, he, he seems like a great person in addition to, to being a, a good actor. So, um, yeah, yeah. you know, there's no man crush or nothing, but he's cool. We can have beers. He's all right. I'll hang out with him. I'm not going to say no uh, to hanging out. Uh, okay, so what I've been up to is that. So my uh, my Dungeon and Dragon name is Sea Star. So it's like a C with an asterisk. Kendon hates it, but I'm Sea Star. And um, I stole a avatar from stime steam s-t-i-m-e i think it's a game i'm not sure but they have like it's like um gods like mythology and they have polynesian gods and so there's a i think it's pele it should be pele but like anyway she's awesome she's got like her polynesian tattoos and like bright orange like lava eyes so i enjoyed that of like having an avatar that i'm like yeah she's badass um and so did that with Kendon for his birthday. And then the other thing that I did was, so I haven't listened to Michelle Obama's podcast yet, but I did come across a documentary on Netflix for the tour that she did for Becoming. So mm-hmm. it's like, it follows her to some of the different sites and then talks about the background. It's like, it feels like it's the, it's, it's reading the book on light because it like hits some of the points it's similar themes but you're also seeing her tour the book anyway it was nice to have the visuals um on it and have you know like the person who like the wardrobe person while they're in the white house they talking about like how she kind of decided what how to dress them and um i don't know it just it was really good i needed her I need her right now. So yeah. I appreciated that that existed. Um, I don't know, Manny, if you saw when you came down here for the, um, actually, you didn't end up parking by our house, I don't think, for the March um, last month. It was month. all taken up, yeah. Um, yeah, I found one spot and I took a picture of it to send to you, but I was like, I don't I don't know if you can fit. Like it, it was, it wasn't very much parking. But anyway, we have like a picture of the Obamas just hugging um facing out of our window because it's just like i feel like we need like positive human connection and i just love them um and also a tie-in right because so the obamas started dating in the 80s and do you all remember what their first date was to see do the right thing to see do the right thing august 1989 Um, is that a segue shalia it is a segue so nice segue by the way Thanks. I try. I try. (laughs) Yeah. Um, 
I, I, it was a, an interesting coincidence, I thought, because um, the other interesting thing with Do the Right Thing is that it was a summer movie. It followed a whole bunch of uh, death by police, right, in New York and, mm-hmm. um, and other, not, not always police, right, like other um, race-based violence and killing in New York. Um, and one of the things that was frustrating to um, Spike Lee and others who were making this movie uh, was the mayor um, lack of response um, and addressing the issue. And so this movie was released in August, right before the August primary, and they wanted to get everyone to get out and vote. And so you'll hear Samuel Jackson's character on the radio talking about get out and vote for the primary, which I think is funny because we're recording on uh, the day of our August primaries, and we've all voted, so I think that's really cool. Um, and my understanding is that that year they were successful in um, somebody else winning the primary um, for the for that position. I don't know if they ended up winning the actual position in the general election, but anyway, just interesting history about you know things don't actually change. I guess um, stay kind of the same, but. Yeah. So, are you guys ready? Can we talk about Do the Right Thing? Yeah. Okay. It's going to be a scorcher today. Universal Pictures presents a new film. You want brothers on the wall? Get your own place. You can do what you want to do. From Spike Lee, director of School Days, and she's got to have it. Always do the right thing. So, Spike Lee, a Spike Lee joint, 40 Acres and a Mule. Mm-hmm. Um, production 1989 do the right thing starring spike lee um as mookie uh and this movie was nominated for academy award and were a couple of them right but for best picture lost to a um, driving miss daisy which mm-hmm. i think is very interesting <laughs> in terms of the times mm. it was made optics. and <laughs> optics and you know just um Really interesting. And now Spike Lee has won a Best Picture. No, did he? No. He got the director, but not Best Picture, right? Director. Um, so, yeah, interesting. Like, for 30 years worth of time, right? Um, how far we've come and not so much or sort of. I don't know. Anyway, um, Tim, do you want to tell us more about who is in and who was part of the making of Do the Right Thing? Um, it's written, directed produce Barkley, uh standing a lot of people in this movie have passed away i realized that while i was watching it so danny aiello has passed away ozzy davis um ruby d um bill nunn has passed away who played radio raheem uh, paul benjamin who played ml and robin harris has played sweet dick willie they've all passed away uh Joy Lee's also in this, John Totoro, Giancarlo Esposito. Uh, Martin's first appearance, apparently. Martin Lawrence. Introducing Rosie Perez. Rosie Perez. I feel like you had to start doing the dance. And I want to mention real quick because I found it really interesting when I found out like halfway through watching the movie that Ossie Davis and, um, why did I lose her name? Ruby D. Ruby D. Ruby D were married. Um, which makes their dynamic in the movie hilarious to me. Yeah. yeah. Um, Esposito's cool too, because, you know, he's in The Boys. Yeah. yeah. When he, has he not played a bad guy? Like, 
whether it's that or heroes, like I feel like he's like usual suspects, anti-hero or something. Like he's always like either anti-hero or, or like a villain. I feel like. Who is he in the boys? He's the head of um, the corporation. He's the CEO. Yeah. See, I've forgotten that. He is a legend. He is a legend. He he's a great actor. Really, Manny, you, you and I would have the connection too from um, school days. Yeah, school days. So, yeah, that's true. Big Brother <laughs> Almighty, right? Uh, <laughs> where are we? What were we listening to recently? Where they were kind of doing a retrospective on Vanilla Ice and how he stole that song from that movie. I never even like, really thought up, about like, that, but that's literally one of our chants. Uh, yeah, Manny. For friends to know, Manny and I are both members of the same fraternity. Um, but yeah, I never really thought about the fact that that Ice Ice Baby is literally our chant. I did, yeah. but I thought you got it from Vanilla Ice. <laughs> I guarantee you most people thought we got it from Vanilla Ice. Well, he's, he's already taking from black culture. I don't know why you would the think. Appropriation, the appropriation is strong with him. Yeah, yeah. Um, Which is why Suge Knight hung him upside down outside the hotel room. He did do that. <laughs> <laughs> Was he cold as he was hanging outside? Uh, he was hot. He was warm, but it wasn't. He was warm from pee. But. <laughs> um, so one of the things I think is interesting, Tim, you mentioned that a number of the um, actors in uh, Do the Right Thing have passed, but several of them are older, right? And that's one of the cool things about this movie is that they have, and Spike did this on others too, but they have these old schoolers who are seasoned actors. They, they know what they're doing. Um, they are able to carry this movie, but then they also have a whole bunch of new up and comers who are bringing like energy and character in that way to it, which it seems like a really good mix. I've, and it felt genuine to me um, seeing seeing the youth versus the like older folks who have a little bit more wisdom there. They're not perfect, but they, you know, what do they say? Like, we're still standing. Um, I thought, I, I liked that. And I liked that the older ones were ones that we knew. Like, he picked, he picked people who we would recognize then as established kind of, you know, adult. Yeah, I recognize him more, <laughs> too, like, than I would have the first time I saw him. Because, like, out of the three guys who are, like, sitting, you know, just shooting the shit, one of those guys is from The Wire, that I recognized, you know, that I wouldn't have recognized the first time I saw the movie. True. Um, uh, Tim, or actually anybody can say it. So where are we in terms of Spike Lee films in terms of Do the Right Thing? So 1989, this came after School Days. Mm -hmm. um, what, uh, what other movies are kind of surrounding this one? How many was he in, do you know? Uh, let's see. After school days, it's right before Malcolm X. So Malcolm X comes out a couple of years later. Okay. It's right before Malcolm X. Oh, he's got a he he put on a string though. Yeah. She's got to have it. School days. Then right after school days, was we'll do the right thing. Mo Better Blues, Jungle Fever, which was another culturally significant movie, because you know how many times that phrase jungle fever was used in high school with the uh, spike in interracial dating um malcolm x crooklyn 
he had a like six movie string of really, I think, um, culturally significant hits, especially for the, for the nineties, late eighties and nineties. What I'd like to add to that is, um, he's, I mean, we know this about him, but he's a fucking hard worker. Like if you look at the years that he's putting these out, so it's 86, 88, 89, 90, 91, mm-hmm. 92, 94, 95, 96, 98, 99, 2000. Like this is, he, he is working. And these are, I mean, they are great movies. Um, what was you guys' first Spike Lee movie ever watching? Do you remember? Malcolm yeah, X. I remember. Yeah, I came from the island, so <laughs> I didn't really... <laughs> it was just the right thing. That was the first one I saw. How old were you? When did this come out? 89? 11? 11? 11 when I saw it. 10, 11 when I saw it. Jungle Fever for me. Really? That's not yeah. that. Because um... you gotta remember, I came here when I came here in 88 from Haiti. So, you know, a year or two of learning the language, like, Jungle Fever was the one I first saw. Saw. Um, Manny, how much older are you than us? What See year that are much? You <laughs> I was born in 1980. Okay. I turned 40 in December. So. <gasps> hey, happy birthday! No. So Tim <laughs> still got you by. Tim you... still got you, but for by two years. So. Yeah. Oh, there you go, Tim. Thank you for um, taking the mantle. Manny, you golf, don't you? I do. Okay, so my dad was having someone show us a pillow recently where it says, I'm not over the hill, I'm just in the back nine. And you should maybe consider having that be your theme for your birthday party. <laughs> um, okay, I'm not my, over the hill yet. <laughs> one of our friends but, literally just hit a hole in one up at the Jefferson Golf Course. Yeah, I heard. Manny, were thing. you there for it? No, but I, I, t- I told him welcome to the club because I I'd hit a hole in one about three years ago. Oh. It was it was six no seven in the morning. Crisp air. There was dew there was dew on the grass. <laughs> I have my bag advance moment for for sure. That's awesome. <laughs> I have yet to have that. Um, okay, so my. Um, my first was 1996 Girl 6. Um, oh, wow. Forgot about that movie. Forgot mm-hmm. about that movie. Wow. Your first movie was Girl 6? Yeah. I mean, I don't know if he directed it. It's just on his filmography. So he was involved in it in some way. And that was the first one I saw. I'm realizing from this list. I might have seen parts of Malcolm X before that, but I, I'm pretty sure Girl 6 was the first one. Um, had, you, had you seen Malcolm X when we watched it the other day? What? Had you seen all of Malcolm X when we saw it the other day? Yeah. Oh, okay. So why did you want to do this movie? Oh, because honestly, um, the very truth is that I had forgotten to update our Facebook page in a while. And so I was um, updating like just the things we've been doing. And we hadn't had a non like absolutely white centric, white acted film since Black History Month. And I was like, that's fucked up we can do better (laughs) in fairness our topic is 80s movies and so you know the diversity that existed then in films is what we are working with but i was a little surprised to see that 
I mean, it's just like, if you look back at all of our stuff, it's like, it's a whole lot of white faces on those movie posters. And I thought we can do better. Um, so I said that and Kendon thought do the right thing. So well, that's why I, we picked it. It feels timely considering. Right. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so here's the thing. I didn't know what it was about. This is my first time watching this movie. Um, so the what? idea. Yeah. <laughs> so the I idea, thought for sure that was the reason like it was because it was so timely like the death of Radio Rahim versus Floyd and Garner like I was like oh we about to have a we about to have an epic conversation about this like yeah. oh we will I was like we will but that wasn't <laughs> the plan no um but we should <laughs> um yeah so good timing ish I guess um but yeah, so very parallel. I mean, it's so interesting. It's so interesting, you guys, because like, so we've got the plot of the movie. We've got what's happening right now in, you know, 2020 and recent, I mean, nothing has changed, right? Like this has been happening. Mm -hmm. There have been kind of flashpoints of like awareness and people being um, a little bit more awake to it. And maybe this is different. But then you also had the 80s where, you know, at the end of this, well, so during the the scene where they're actually kind of breaking in Salas Pizzeria, you know, they're yelling Howard Beach. And at the end of the movie, you have a card with names, right? Like, say their names is back to 89 doing that. And, um, you know, that's years of just, just in New York things happening. So, yeah. so interesting for, you know, 30 years time, um, you know, 31 years now, cause it came out in August, but yeah, I just, it's, it's good. Um, I think I'm glad that we're having this conversation. So where do you guys want to start? Cause, um, all right, Manny, as our guest, can you tell us what this movie is about? Uh, sure. Elevator pitch. So uh, it follows the, I guess, what do you call it? The protagonist, Mookie, played by Spike Lee. Um, waking up is basically the theme is that it's a very hot summer's day. And the major, the scene set up in kind of like two major back, backdrops, which is a pizza parlor owned by Sal, an Italian-American, <clears throat> who has uh, two sons, one of them clearly racist, the other one has an affinity. They both kind of feel like have affinity for black culture, but one of them actually like likes black people. Mookie works for Sal as a delivery, um, pizza delivery um, boy or man is whatever you want to call him. Um, and so it follows kind of like the neighborhood and how they deal with the heat, how they interact with um, different components within the neighborhood. So it, it fits it kind of fits to today because you have an Italian um, American pizza parlor, then you have a Korean um, shop, all within a predominantly black neighborhood, which kind of fits some of today's issues, you know, especially with lack of ownership in black neighborhoods. Um, obviously, racial tensions between the different groups, uh, Puerto Ricans, um, Koreans, like there's just typical Spike Lee movie. And so the plot just follows Mookie on this day as you know, he's delivering, you know, the pizza and his interactions with Sal and his sons and his interactions as far as the neighborhood and 
um, neighborhoods interaction with police, which are relevant because at the end, um, as things in Radio Rahim, who's kind of like this kind of like bigger in the life persona who everyone kind of either fears or respects <laughs> because of his, his stature, who carries around a loud boom box, not pretty much giving a damn. He's living his life by his own means. Um, at the end of the day, you know, he takes the boom box, long story short, he takes the boom box to Sal's pizza. Sal doesn't appreciate it. Sal's like, hey, you know, you come to my pizza parlor, you're gonna follow my rules. Um, which is kind of fitting because one of Sal's rule, one of the conflicts is that Sal has pictures of nothing but Italian Americans on his wall. Um, and one of the complaints from one of the, I forgot his name, um, played by Esposito. Bugging out. Bugging out is like, hey, you're in a black neighborhood. You should, you know, at least have some black, famous black actors or actresses up there because we're the ones supporting you. And he's like, screw you, basically, this is my shop. I'll do whatever I want. Um, where I think, hearing about this movie why this is so fitting i feel is that at the end of the movie you know radio rahim goes back into the shop plays his music loud bugging goes back and basically saying demanding that he puts the pictures on the wall sal gets angry and basically smashes the radio or the boom box fighting curves you know they go outside um police come in they choke out radio rahim he dies then Mookie incites a riot by throwing um, garbage can through the window, which, you know, then I forgot oh, the one stuttering person's name, but sets, sets fire basically to the pizza shop. And I think that's pretty much leads toward the end of the movie, which is kind of like leaving the audience with what happened, right? Is the cops put Radio Rahim's dead lifeless body in the back of the car and pulls him away to kind of hide the evidence. The crowd rarely sees it, um, saying, you're wrong, you're choking him. And the cop just, you know, is saying, you're gonna pay today kind of deal. Um, same thing with what happened with Floyd, right? How it's still relevant today. And kind of like how you can see the reactions from different um, ethnicities, right? The Italian Americans are, you know, looking and kind of like, somewhat shocked like hey you probably shouldn't be doing this but whatever black people obviously be like hey you're killing this man and then what I found interesting was like is they kind of left it open with the Korean shop owners because they were kind of like disbelief almost like they they finally kind of got it in a situation you know what I mean like there was nothing overt from their end it was kind of like oh shit what did we just see moment and so, so like, I like that the, communi the community ended up like not turning on them. Right. Well, yeah. So with them though, it's interesting because um, as the, as the cops are driving away with Radio Rahim's body, the um, owner, the Korean American owner of the store is running. Like he's also running after the cop car. Right. And then he says like, as they're coming towards him, he's like, I'm black too. <laughs> like trying to, so it's, yeah, it was a really interesting mm -hmm. identity type of moment for us to kind of get a picture of, for, I, and probably for them too, a bit of an awakening. Yeah. So that was basically the synopsis. I, I feel like this movie really touched on a lot of, um, I think to this day, still this underlying um, tension between groups, right? There's always been tension, I feel like, especially in the East Coast, New York, with um, Italians and, and Black folk. 
um, definitely tensions between like uh, Koreans or Asian ethnicities and black folk in predominantly black neighborhoods, right? Because it's like you shop there, but it's kind of like the whole um, racist hurry up and buy type meme that you get. It's um, but it's it comes out of a place of truth, right? Is there is that kind of like conflict? So um, the fact that it was in the '80s and is still so relevant to today, like you can you can go in the shop and still see that there's not that many black ownership that's in black neighborhoods and which does what it allows for a lot of gentrification and just you know african americans being like migrant in a, in a sense so because it was a boarded up building until they until they turned it into their uh, store which indicates that the, the people in the neighborhood the, the the black community was not able to for instance get a loan or the right permitting or something to have opened a business there so that's which is the, very relevant in that it, coming out in the 80s, the immediate aftermath of redlining, for instance, was felt in the 70s and 80s. So it's very it's very telling, especially in New York, right, with the crimes, crime wave that they had. They always found a scapegoat with, you know, black and brown folks, Puerto Ricans, for instance. Like you saw how to you, you can see it, how the cop looked at the Puerto Ricans and blacks, right? Those were the two groups were like, yo, I, I have my eye on you kind of situation. So. Yeah, it, it's the the backstory there is is telling in that you know, um, with the inability to pass generational wealth, for instance, um, that limited the opportunity, let's say, for someone to purchase and you know, God knows have what a supermarket, a barbershop, or whatever, you know, you want to call it traditional black business in the neighborhood. So, yeah. Um, it touched on a lot of things, I feel. And it's very relevant. And it's so funny because I was reading more about it. And it's like, do the right thing is one is, is up there as far as books, as far as films, I should say, that are being taught or want to be taught in schools um, for kids to understand how significant it still is all of, what, 30 years later? Um, so it, it, it's timely. Definitely. If folks are interested in like filmmaking generally, it's not, it doesn't touch so much on the cultural issues that we're talking about today, but Spike Lee, they, um, it's AFI. I don't know what it stands for. I'm assuming it's filmmaker something. Institute. Institute. <laughs> um, I'm not sure what A stands for. American. Um, but in June, they were able to arrange for Do the Right Thing to be free to stream. And then they had a, uh, I'm assuming it was Zoom, I don't know, some kind of video um, interview with Spike Lee where um, young directors got to, or filmmakers got to ask questions and it was hosted and they asked, but they were very focused on like how you made the movie. So they didn't talk so much about um, what was happening during the time and like the, the content that I think we probably want to talk more about. But um, just to mention that for anybody who's interested, it's on YouTube, you can watch it. And it's kind of fun to hear Spike Lee's kind of take on, you know, making things like, for example, Mookie throwing the trash can, they had, they tried it several times. And the, Ken, what's Kenan's <laughs> favorite thing about 80s movies? That's not how glass works. <laughs> like all of these like things flying through glass windows and he's like, glass doesn't break like that. And that's exactly, they ended up having to scratch the glass to get the trash can to actually make it through. Um, so just like, you know, in terms of them 
using this as a teaching point. I think for filmmaking, they use it. And it's, I'm really glad to hear that perhaps it's being used to also teach about history, like American history, right? And what's hap what happens in, in the United States, um, including race tensions. And I think that's a really good point in terms of the business ownership. Um, there's a scene where Sal is talking to Pino about the, the pizza shop, right? And Pino wants to leave that neighborhood, doesn't want to have a, a, a restaurant there anymore, wants to go back to their neighborhood or wants to have moved to their neighborhood um, for pizza. And Sal says like, but where, like, who's going to buy from us because there's, all, like, there's already a lot of pizza places in our neighborhood. Um, so I thought that was really interesting in terms of competition and um, for like, for the Korean uh, store owners, like, is that where their top choice location was or is that where they were allowed to buy and well, open absolutely. a store or would they have picked something else if they could have? Just a really interesting looking at but, business owners. But also Sal took pride in the fact that people grew up on it. Mm -hmm. Like people, he had fed this community. And even at the end when Bugging Out is trying to get people in his boycott, no one's really on board his boycott. He gets ready to Rahim and he gets the stuttering dude to show up for his boycott. No one else is there like, what? No, we're not boycotting sales. We're not doing that. Do you guys remember what the group who ends up being in there when the, um, the fight happens, what they said when Bugging Out tried to get them to do it? They're holding a Black Panther comic book and are like, Black Panther eats pizza, we eat pizza. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> it's like, there you go. I mean, so I can't argue that, with that. There's a different, I mean, he has a relationship with the community despite what comes out of him at the end when there's this, this confrontation uh, he has with Rahim. He felt a relationship with this community being, he felt like he was a part of it in some way. Um, this is why he wanted to stay despite his son wanting to leave only because his friends were making fun of him but going to this black community every day to work. It's the only reason he wanted to move. It was, it was nothing else. Yeah, so Kendon put, um, it's interesting, right? So he he says that in that conversation. If, if if you guys are okay, we can maybe talk about Sal a little bit and, and then we can pick other topics next. But with him, like, he says that about loving them. He uh, really cares about Mookie's sister, Jade. Um, Maybe in a creepy older guy way, maybe in a, maybe. I saw you grow up and, you know, you're a good person. Um, but then when pushed, and he's having a day, so, you know, and it's hot. But when pushed, you know, all that racism and hate comes out. And that's what he's yelling and saying. And, um, you know, there's a scene with Radio Rahim with his um, rings, right? Love and hate. And Kennedy, what you said was like, basically that's what Sal was trying to do was like, he does have all of that hate inside and he was trying to fight that hate with love. Which is what I appreciate about him as a character, right? That, cause you, I think, no, we're talking about Sal. with Sal, which is why I don't, I wouldn't, I don't condemn him the way I do his son who doesn't seem to be doing, putting in the effort. Cause we, you know, there's a lot of talk now about, are you just racist? Can you fix being racist? Blah, 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 blah. If you're not like, I respect you if you're really doing the work, if you're really trying. And I think that's what I respect about his character. That is, he 
obviously that exists in him, but he's, he's trying to fight that by embracing like the love for the community. Yeah. Um, interesting. What did, did you guys want to like pick anything up from Sal or things that you might want to say? Well, they say the truth comes out when you're what, when you're angry, happy, or drunk, right? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> no matter how much you try to hide something, your true nature will come out. And so, you know, it's so funny because immediately, I think five minutes before that whole situation happened, no, if not less, Sal was talking about, hey, I'm going to pass this along, Mookie, I love you like your son, you always have a place here or whatever, <clears throat> right? And so their relationship, because if you think about it, Sal let Mookie get a lot of, get away with a lot of things that most employers would have been like, you're fired, right? Like Sal, like right before them, when he was talking about Mookie was kind of like a son and this and that, which kind of like, it kind of was confusing when Mookie did decide to throw the garbage can at the window because the, you didn't really see the buildup, right? The the buildup was between Mookie and and Pino, right? Like he and Sal had this kind of like pseudo father son type thing. Like, hey, where's my money? Can I get my money earlier? Blah blah blah. blah. But it wasn't to the point where it's like, hey, I'm gonna mess up your shop. So I think that's kind of what was for for the whole garbage stand thing was either his breaking point about everything, whether it was just the police, the heat, the situation with his son and his baby moms, like if it was all hitting him, if that was the situation. And with Sal, it's kind of like, yeah, it was in the heat of the moment and he let the word slip that he shouldn't, but it's like, okay, you know, hate is taught, right? So all these things that people were hating about his oldest son, you start to question like, well, God, was this taught? And you're trying to, Kenneth's point, make up for it. And you're like, you know, I can't, I can't bring Vino back, right? He's gone. <laughs> so is that his way of trying to make make up for it? Um, so oh, you know, but he still I, won't put black people on the wall. Well, okay, so okay, or so like rap music. I'm about to mention he doesn't like rap one. music, <laughs> which is okay, first of all. But um, I really felt like, and part of why I was more okay with Sal is I think that for his older son, that this is really, I think that the line about him having a problem with his friends teasing him for, for having that job there really indicates that a lot of that hate is coming from other sectors of his, of his, of his uh, environment. Yeah. So even if Sal has some of it and some can be taught, I don't put that, I, I'm feeling like maybe I don't put a lot of that on Sal. I think it's, I, I think it's a lot on the friends. And, and when we get into the different people who are shouted out as, um, inspiration for this uh people who had died in the in the years coming up to this movie one of them was um a black man who was being chased out of a neighborhood when he was killed right so i think it it, by young people that was howard beach so Um, that that indicates to me that that this can be coming from from the friends not just from the parents why do you guys think mookie threw the trash can i have a theory what's your theory my theory is that he did it to spare Sal and Pino and Vito from getting beat up because they're all standing there in front of the shop. Everyone's just like, just saw this person get murdered. 
tensions are high. It's fucking hot. Um, and Sal's just like, do what you got to do. And they're all looking at them. And I think Mookie, by grabbing the trash can, is able to redirect the emotions from Sal and his kids to the location and the, and the space. And I think it's a good depiction of like how we do focus on places and how they symbolize um, hate and trauma and all of that. And so it was like a way to redirect and take it out on the shop and not on Sal um, physically. I think that's a good point. And I think it ties into the fact that the mayor um, kind of pulls Sal and his sons aside and kind of protects them. Yeah. So at the end, um, in the, the next morning, Samuel Jackson uh, mentions like reads a statement from the mayor and it's like, we will not, they do not mention Radio Rahim um, dying. And they do mention like we, the, the city of New York will not condone property damage, which is so interesting to me because in that, in that interaction, like if you think about ownership and property and value to like value in terms of, you know, how much something is worth financially, excuse me, is one thing. But value in terms of like what it means to you is something different. And for Radio Rahim, that boombox was, that was his, like that was part of his identity. That was how he got through the world, right? Like he can walk down the street and even though they're spraying everybody with water, like they, they protect him from like that, from getting wet, right? Like as soon as the batteries run out, he's in that store buying more batteries. Like that is his almost like a safety blanket or security blanket it's his it's his everything and sal breaks it right like he yells at him he says all these names he does all that and then he takes that baseball bat to his radio and just destroys that property and that is when radio rahim pulls him you know like that's too far pulls him across and that's how the fight starts and i just think it's really interesting that you can you can destroy a black man's property. You can kill him. Um, and that isn't acknowledged or even, you know, thought of as a big deal to the people of power. But, um, I, you know, yeah. they're upset about this guy's store that yeah, has insurance. I think, I think that's the point they were trying to stress right there is that, like today, it's the mayor is not the mayor of, for everyone, right? It's, it's a selected few, right? Mm-hmm. Who, who do you represent? Whose values do you represent? And so um, I, think, I think that's exactly why they probably put that in there with the comment, like property will not be, destruction will not be tolerated. Uh, it's kind of analogous to today, right? Where people are like, I'm okay with protesting, but the violence just over... <laughs> right it, and to me it's like well no one says anything about violence and protests when you know young white kids you know flip cars for instance or I can tell you right now when I was at UW when I was at UW and Greek girl went crazy and they were burning couches and stuff over there no one brought the riot gear that I don't think of that as violence because I think of that as property destruction 
Um, right. Violence to me is like you're walking around beating people up or harming individual bodies. And I think it's really interesting because if you, t if you ask me, you know, the violence that I've seen at these protests, it's not by the protesters. The property destruction is one thing, but when, when you have the police department talking about violence, I mean, the violence is what I'm seeing by them. Um, mm -hmm. But they don't, people don't consider that violence from the police. They consider that law and order. They don't look at that as violence. So, real so quick. what is violence? I mean, like, in, it, is, in the it is violence. But they don't, they'll never discuss it in the same frame because they feel like, because they disagree with whatever was happening, these people are being unruly or whatever, and they need law and order. So it's just, it's the cost of doing business for them. Actually, I want to, I want to step just a half step back because I was really liking Shalia's point about the destruction of the property, and I think they slipped almost a little extra of a foreshadowing in there because they spray water all over that man's car, and the police immediately show up as well. Right. But you know what? You know what was funny? I was actually gonna bring that exact scene up. That showed a kind of dichotomy, right? There's, you juxtapose the police in two scenes. When they first arrived, what did you think? Oh my God, they're gonna just take these black kids to task because this white Italian dude is complaining about them messing up the car. And they literally were like, man, get out the neighborhood, be gone, they're hot. And then they give them the little pat, like slapping the head, hey, don't turn this hose on again, right? That property damage was, a, was like, go home. The situation with Sal, it's like, I don't even think it was a property damage. Cause you remember right before that, they were in a pizza shop. They have a personal relationship with Sal, right? Yeah. So I don't, think, I don't think it had to do with the actual like damage of the pizza shop, but more so it's Sal's pizza shop. So I, I'm just thinking the two reactions by the similar police officers, right? In the situation with the fire hydrant versus what happened in a pizza shop, it's... But I in between, also... in between, you have a you have a nice shot, not even a full scene of them slowly driving by those yes. three black men, yes. and the looks that go between the two the the two groups, and you can see that there's some history that those three black men have lived through, right? Mm -hmm. And I think that that again is this ratchet. This whole movie is about ratcheting up of tension, um, so I think yeah. that's an important thing to to call out. I think also. Um police overreaction is a piece too and you know there's they're arguing about this car and the water but you know nobody's actually in a struggle and i think part of this and even like you were saying manny like in a heightened moment right your true colors come out and so we saw that with sal like he's just pissed off it's been a long day and he just lets it out and we see what's you know really inside um and I think, you know, what leads to Radio Rahim's death is he is in a fight. Like, he's in a physical altercation. Others aren't able to pull him off. And the police come, and they end up getting him off. So they're using their physical, like, they're, they're intervening in a physical way. And it, it's like they don't know how to stop. And they don't know once it's on and once they're in that moment, they, they just keep going. Like, I don't think, I, I don't know. I didn't get the impression like they're out there to kill him, right? But they ended up being there. They're using their exertion. They're using their, and that is where it leads. And, um, well, you passed the, you yeah. passed the border, you passed the line, right? Because I think in the scene with, with the radio, even the other cops were like, hey, stop. 
and yeah. he was he was in such a rage that he just he's like no i'm gonna sh- basically i'm gonna show this boy who's boss kind of situation right because who was if you see how what it represents if you look at it from an optics standpoint you have kind of like this kind of burly cop right and the biggest dude on the block was radio when all those kids were talking smack and radio gave him that look they were like okay we cool we cool right and so him taking out the big dog of a neighborhood was i think almost kind of like this signal this message um the problem with him though he didn't hear his counterparts were like yo okay enough enough he was so into the rage and showing his force i think that's that that was the situation right there that led to you know kind of like the the minimalized rodney king moment of burning down sal's shop is everyone saw that and was like heck no um I mean, it would have gone viral, right? If this, if we had smartphones back then, kind of situation. So, I think that's what it depicts, and is very relevant of today. Is, is, you don't really. You saw in the movie of a couple cops saying enough, enough. You don't really see that today. No. You have that kind of like, that blue wall of silence. It feels like right where it's kind of like, you know, I gotta scratch this person's back one day so they can scratch my back another day. And um, I think that's something that could be taken away from the movie to today's. It's just like, just even, even though it wasn't effective, the fact that they realized it was wrong, like, hey, stop. And the fact that they try to throw his body in the car for that exact reason, not saying, not the today's version is like, well, you know, doing my job, you're dead, sorry. It was like, oh, we effed up. Let's take the body and make up a f- fake incident report of how this person died <laughs> so um i you know, think Manny, it, um i think to add, to add to your point too um because one of the more striking things i noticed um because you're saying he's he's basically trying to to dominate the the biggest guy in the block right he's trying yeah. to prove a point um, dominate the alpha or whatever right right and when his body's on the ground he kicks it and it's like you know, stop faking, right? So the idea is like, oh, this was like a wrestling match. This was me proving mm-hmm. I'm in charge. Now you've learned your lesson. Now get up, you know, tuck your tail. Um, and not having realized that what he had really done. And it's just so casual to be like, oh, you know, th- there is um, a perception in the, in the medical field, for instance, which is interesting research that kind of touches on uh, my job. But uh, there's interesting research that about why black uh, patients don't necessarily get the right sort of care. And one of them is that very recently in recent times, they have uh, surveyed medical professionals and they have these crazy beliefs like Mm -hmm. black people feel less pain. Black people have thicker skin, black people like these things that then lead to them not uh, providing. I read that same thing. Yeah, I read that same thing. And it's amazing in 2020 that people still believe it. it and sorry, can I cut you off? But it's so re- relevant because you think about how a lot of like these, like, especially when it comes to gynecology, a lot of like experiments were done on, on black women, right? Mm-hmm. With no, you know, um, pain meds or anesthesia or anything close to that. Like it's literally, let's see how much pain this person can tolerate. And it's just crazy to me that 
you have these kind of like eugenic type views in 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 today's world and it's still i mean well beyonce brought uh, brought awareness to this too where she was talking about the fact that you know mortality rates among black women are high because doctors a lot of time will be like hey you know you're not really sick or we're not going to do xyz even just it shows the importance of a black doctor it's having someone that looks like you understanding like okay no admit this person um like yeah, just it's think just, about um another yeah. place where that hits a lot is miscarriages and women who come in like something's wrong <coughs> say like yeah. oh you're constipated or go home and then they mm-hmm. lose their babies and maybe they also get lost but like how much of that is how, so much how, how much of that is socioeconomic right because you have prejudice and bias like oh immediately when someone if someone black comes in into a hospital and what's the first thought of the receive, reception is insurance or no insurance if you look like you can afford it sure we might may admit to you, or we're like no get this person discharged asap and i guarantee you that's part of it is this is probably some prejudice views or biased about you know affordability right is you know black person goes to harvey i guarantee you probably is like oh you know someone gets hurt oh is it gang violence or a gunshot like it's crazy. It seems far-fetched, but I guarantee you that's part of it is, is, is that exact um, systemic bias and stuff within the healthcare, the same issue we have with you know, police, right? Policing. Um, it's across the board. You can call policing, education. It's basically like the wire, right? It's touching all these things. Like there's bias that affects everyone in different ways, but then it's all interconnected, right? So it's just, mm-hmm. it's so crazy how that movie's still relevant. And I, I'm glad they're, I'm glad that they're going to have this as like teachers are reaching out to teach this as part of curriculum and, in, in um, high schools and stuff to talk about, um, just talk about race. It's a very sanitized view of race, but like racial, um, history and everything, but it's a start. Yeah. Uh, and it hits on really important pieces of it. Is is Mookie a good person? <laughs> Everyone is a good person. But yeah, he, no, that's a good question. He is He's real obnoxious. <laughs> yeah. I think like I said, the like Yeah. He has his kid like no, a week. <laughs> He's not his job. <laughs> oh, wait, stay with the kid thing, Tim. He hasn't seen his kid in the week. And when he shows up to the house to deliver pizza, he doesn't go see his kid. Like, no. it's not until he goes into the kitchen to grab some ice that he's like, oh, how's my child doing? Like, yeah. I understand that he, things are hard, but that's not excusable to me. But this but would be too much of a, a moral, this would be too much of a parable if you gave us, like, this upstanding paragon of a protagonist. I think I think the, the super flawed protagonist uh, just adds richness to the movie. You know, that's fair because that's thing, for me, though. like, I hit... I hit so many situations of like employment discrimination or like somebody's fired and it's not the perfect employee that gets fired or discriminated against, right? Like it's somebody who has flaws and who is irritating, but they're not firing them because they're irritating. They're firing them for, you know, because of something else. Um, and so, yeah, there's like rarely are there perfect victims in okay. laws. So I think that's really interesting. You do say that you said that he's a bad employee, but to a certain degree, he's a public relations 
like he has that role like getting guy. bug out getting bug out to step to step out and to try to calm down that situation like he's playing a, a role of ambassador or co- cultural ambassador on top of getting pizzas places and he's, he's the one who's walking around the neighborhood delivering them i feel like they're trying to make him into a house negro in a sense and, and that it's it's almost like that feel like you go handle yours remember because sal even said it is like get him out of here yeah. right it wasn't it wasn't vino it wasn't his kid he's like he was telling mookie this is your people get him out of here like yeah. like it, that's almost like i feel like i don't know if that's where spike was trying to take him and you're right he's not he's not by far the best character for all the things that are that are mentioned um other than like yeah he's the guy in the neighborhood but golly man like the dope boy in the neighborhood could be the best known person doesn't mean like there are any any semblance of virtue right like just because you know everyone doesn't mean like or like you know the conscience mean? the conscience of the block is a drunk <laughs> right um, yeah, well, right. don't lose Mookie right. though um manny i just want to kind of tie like a tie that part off of um house negro because i mean literally that's right before the fight happens right that's what Sam. Ken had already mentioned it, but that's what's all saying. It's like you're like my son. It's like mm-hmm. okay. You're better than the others. You're mm-hmm. I you gave know. you this opportunity. Like if you were if he was like your son, you wouldn't say you always have a place to work. You'd be like, here's a share of it, because you help bring business. Because literally you're talking about this was the best day he's had in a while in sales and blah blah blah. And then you, all you offer your son. Uh, after you telling your real sons that they're going to get equity shares, you telling this one he only has a job, so mm-hmm. long as he behaves correctly, right? Yes. So, I mean, it's kind of like the fighting for the crumbs, because what his sister even said, "What's your job? Your job is," because his sister called him out on his shit. Yeah. Right when he was trying to say, "Don't, don't hang out with Sal," she's like, "Who the, who the hell are you? Like, I'm paying the bills. I'm letting you crash." In, in this nice spot, you letting your your you haven't seen your kid, you're not taking care of your responsibilities and this and that. Um and so yeah, he's definitely imperfect. But I think it's here's what's weird about this, right? Typically in a regular movie, the imperfect person would have been the perfect martyr. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, Muki wasn't perfect, but he didn't deserve to be killed. Yeah. In this instance, it's almost like the the most respected person on the block, radio, was the one that got killed. And it's just, it's weird. It's it's like who's the real protagonist? You, you know what I mean? It's right. like there's no payoff for Mookie, right? There's none of this. None, right. That's why when he throws the garbage can through the window, it feels very open ended because it's like, well, you where did this come from? If you you right. show emotion. You're sort of you've taken shit from Sal, you've taken shit from his son. You have a little bit of pushback, but you're kind of just sleepwalking through your day, and then all of a sudden at the end, you grab the garbage can and throw it through the window. You you all know right. what I would have been like? It would have been like in Django if what's his name? I forgot his name, but at the end, if he just helped Django escape, even Sam, after Sam all the shots. You know what I mean? Like if. Like, you know how, like, that, that would have been the equivalent. Like, after all the shit he did with, on Candyland, he helped Django escape to try and make up for all the past BS. Yeah. In a so, way. Like, I think there's some, like, three main points that we should close out with. Um, some questions I have for you. But I'm going to go a little out of order because we're talking about um, 
the closure for Mookie. Apparently, there this is like the first and I think a, a trilogy of Brooklyn Story movies that he made that that Spike made. Apparently, in one of the ones I think came out around 2012, Sal <coughs> has opened has opened a new um, a new shop pizza shop in an Italian neighborhood and Mookie works there and there are black um there are black people on the wall now um so I feel like that I, I never would have known in, unless I was doing research on that so for, for, with that in mind though um the central inciting incident I feel like the central argument is should Sal put somebody should put black people up on the wall and was bugging out right to have approached it the way he did and that's what I want to get everybody's opinion on. And no. then the second question would be, did Mookie do the right thing? At what point? Yeah, what point? Let's just say at the end. Right before the, the inciting the riot. Who wants to go first? Sure. I actually asked myself that question. Like, if I owned a shop, um, if it was an inverse... I I don't think I think you can suggest, but as long as you can, you should tell. And I say that because, um, you know, from the capitalist standpoint, it's his pizza shop, whatever. But it's like, why why are you selling pizza in the first place, right? It's you're you're selling pizza in a black neighborhood, and that's what's keeping you open. But then on the other hand, it's like, you know, it's a pizza shop, you know. It's an homage to Italy. And so I wasn't too, I, I got, I got bugging out's point of, about the fact that he needs to have maybe a representation of the neighborhood, but uh, the approach was definitely wrong, but I didn't think it was something that was required to be honest with you. I yeah, think I didn't... it would have been fake. It would have been like pandering to the utmost degree. Look, I have, I have some black friends on here. Like, to me, I think he was in a pizza shop. His his marketing was selling authentic pizza. Um, now, the difference is if Sal was a freaking racist and outward supremacist that somehow survived it in the black neighborhood, and he had nothing but white faces, then I can see I can see bugging out point. But you didn't really get to all that. Because that was the underlying theme from Bugging Out was exactly that. It's like, why are you only showing white people? Like, you're in a black neighborhood, you show your supremacy, whatever, whatever. We didn't see that until the end from Sal, where he says the N-word, and it's kind of like, okay, full circle. Um, so there's so, two things yeah. there um, I just wanted to, to throw in. It's not just white people. It's Italians. I think that's important. Yeah, because if right. you rewind a few years... Italians are a very oppressed and like, you know, targeted group. Irish. And so, yeah. So it's like, you're not, you don't just have white people up there. You have specifically Italian mm -hmm. Americans up there who you identify with in your group. And it's not necessarily, I mean, maybe it is supremacy, but it's also like a, we made it right? like we got out of there yeah. and it's a, it's kind of a recognition of empowerment a little bit. And so not necessarily supremacy, but some pride. And then yeah, the and second thing I might say is, from a tactical point of view, maybe instead say, why don't you put so, such and such up there, like 
I don't know, Sammy Davis Jr., right? Because that's somebody. He would have sat on the Rat Pack, yeah. Exactly. But it's not like he went. The, the, here's where Bugging Out lost his mojo, right? He didn't go to the Korean shop and say, put black people. Like, he didn't do any of that stuff. You know what I mean? Like, well, at least they didn't show that piece. So that's why I think, like, Bugging Out was probably along the lines of the super militant that was too militant. Like, there was no logic behind his militant nature kind of situation. Um, it seemed impulsive. Very impulsive. And so, well, especially when he goes to the community and nobody is behind him, right? Like, this isn't something that's yeah. bothering anybody else. But at the end, he ends up somewhat being proven right. But he could have got, I guarantee you, he could have gotten a, a petition behind, like, choosing one or two people um, and being like, we want this person up on the wall. He could have gone around and gotten support for that. But then it goes back to your question. Should he, have, even with the petition, should he even put the pictures up? Like, that's, that's the, I think if, we can well, all if agree. everybody's coming to you saying, yeah, we agree. So, Tim, what's your answer to that first question? I don't, I don't know if Bug and I had support. People seem to be very much like, that's Sal. We're not doing anything to Sal. That's Sal's pizzeria. The kids, everyone. When Bug and I was trying to get support for a boycott, People were like, no. So I don't know if getting a petition was going to get people involved. I think people looked at Sal as part of their community, despite him being an American Italian. He was very much, they grew up with Sal. He knew people. Do you think that if, like, let's say Jade, well, maybe not Jade, Jade, um, but, you know, one of them, if, if Radio Rahim had made it big, um, you know, somebody from the neighborhood, do you think he might have ended up putting one of them on the wall at some point eventually? Sure. sure. I think, I think Martin, he could have yeah. changed yeah. eventually. Yeah. I don't think Bugganaut's approach was going to get anyone to hear what he had to say. And do you know what I think a good analogy here is? Is We used to go to Buco de Beppo a lot, mm-hmm. and all over the walls is all of this random Italian-related stuff. It's part of the decor. It's part of the mood. Um, so that's why I, 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 I yeah, I, I realized that bugging out just really was not on the right side here. But you know what's funny though? It's like it's part of the decor, but for the most part, that's because it goes back to Vino's point, and it kind of challenges my original thought: is that they have the pictures on the wall to relate to the neighborhood. Because if you go into an Italian like, like pizza shop or anything right like deli whatever and the pictures are going to be there because you're you're selling to Italians. it's like a semblance of pride for instance and the reason i say this might be different is because he's in the african-american community that was exactly the point his son made was like why are we here right well it's it's (laughs) no competition so we make more money so it almost begs the question were the pictures even necessary I would push back on it. No, I think the pictures are absolutely necessary. Remember, he talks about, I built this every tile, every, this is his home, right? This makes him feel at home. And I think that, that the point of those pictures is not to make Italians feel good who come into a shop. It's for him who probably spends more time in this shop than he does in his own house. No, what I'm saying is it's pride. And what I'm saying is when you talk about book and the Beppo, it's more of, I'm thinking back to just like you're proud of your ethnicity and whatever and 
it's also relatable because most of the time your pizza shop's gonna be related is gonna be in a in a predominantly Italian like Little Italy for instance, right? Like Sal's kind of pizza shop, authentic, whatever. And so um I'm still with though he doesn't have to, but I can see an argument in on the counterpoint where it's like, hey, you know, there's no one else that really relates to this. Like hmm. it, it, that's what I'm thinking is is it kind of fits back to I think what and this is why Spike is so damn good. Cause he does have these little intricacies that you think about like, oh shit, this is where this fits. Kind of like how he makes another movie and it fits with a movie like six years or ten years earlier that it, it kind of fits like, oh, you're bringing this back to kind of bring it full circle. So um, it doesn't change it, but. I think also, I think also, okay, let's say he did do it. Let's say he put up prints. Um, let's say he put up, you know, Mookie and Pino have this conversation of like, who's your favorite actor? Who's your favorite singer? Who's your favorite mm-hmm. athlete? And it's all these black people. And he's like, but they're not black. Right. So like even I mean, I I think for the clientele maybe it would have no, maybe it would have felt not different. The good black. He was saying they're exactly. not the good black. That's what he exactly. was saying. <laughs> they're black, but you know, they're 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 not the slums. They're, they're not these hoodlums or bro. I can I can tell you right now we have we have we have the same argument with immigrants, like immigrant blacks versus, you know, African Americans or second generation blacks. Like there's I had to have the same fight when I first immigrated here. It's like, well, we can't be, we can't be like these blacks. We gotta be better. Like it's just, it's even within our own communities we have this fight, right? So, um, we're still having this fight right now, actually. <laughs> with, it's basically a dynamic that black is a condition that you need to ascend out of. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Tim, are you gonna say something? No, 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 no. Do you guys want to move to the did Mookie do the right thing question? Yeah. I think did he, he do the right thing? I think he did. I think he didn't have a choice. I think it was a way to distract the mob from whatever's going to happen next. And it wasn't going to be good. It was going to be all of those people in Sal and his two sons. It's like he chose the right release valve and pointed it in the right direction. So yeah. I would say yes, he did. I say yes because. I think when Kendon made that point, either Kendon or Tim made that point about it being a distraction and not this <clears throat> open-ended move or like there was no buildup to him, like, why would he do it? And then when you explained it was a more of a distraction tactic, then I was like, okay, yeah, it, it was the right thing. And he probably also thought about the fact that the insurance would cover it. Yeah. He might even have thought that far. He was like, I have to stop this from happening right now. Hmm. Yeah. This is the only, like, I can't call the police. I can't, I have to stop this from happening. So let me throw this can through the window. And people, you probably think it's going to burn down. Maybe they ransack the place. Um, but he, yeah. It makes sense because if you think about it, if you look back at that scene and see his reaction right after, it wasn't like I threw this can and it was like black powerless rise up and just, it was literally he threw it and it was the most anticlimactic throwing of a garbage can through a window that you could have. Yeah. It's also a great point that he did maybe did not expect that it was going to be lit on fire. No. No. Um, I think I really appreciated that the um, end of the movie, they had the two quotes, one from um, MLK and one from Malcolm X, because like 
that is a debate that I'm hearing right now, right? Like Black Lives Matter, peaceful protests versus, um, you know, lighting cop cars on fire or burning, you know, the construction site at Juvie or, you know, burning a Starbucks. Um, and I think it's important to remember that, like, there is no perfect way to do it. And there are, everyone just kind of, how do, how do we say it? Like, Malcolm helped MLK be more effective. Like, they, and not that Malcolm was, you know, lighting cars on fire, but, like, there are, there are ways to address this and everybody is contributing in ways that help like lift it up and that you know some of us do it in different ways and then there's a um i think it was on twitter or something we saw like a woman talking about like this this property is a symbol like we were talking about earlier of like who owns this who it's not ours like this is this is more of now like we're in a capitalist society you take our money you won't give us extra cheese <laughs> the cheese is more than the pizza um and and so it, it's like a symbol of like holding us down, right? And like literal feels like knee on your neck, and um, and you're and you're not, and also we're trained not like even though others are grabbing someone's body and taking their life, instead of doing that, right? Like, and I guess that's my point. Going back to the the whole idea of these protests having been violent. I don't see people taking out their anger about this on cops, like just on the street or just white people, or like, I don't see anybody just like, I hate, I, I'm, I'm mad about what your people are doing. I'm going to punch you in the face necessarily. Hmm. They're taking it on property. And I feel like that might show a level of restraint that is not being recognized or nope. not. It is. It is, it is a level of restraint, but I think it's twofold in that um, the threat to the power structure is the threat of violence, right? Not so much the violence itself. The people committing the real violence are anarchists, like people are not part of the movement, right? But the threat of violence is what people, people like to point out, like, oh my God, if they do this to the building next, who's next, right? Because I'm telling y'all in Maple Valley, there are people, paranoid people uh, on a certain side the point of blast, oh my God, Black Lives Matter is in Covington and they're coming here next. It's yeah. like these neighborhood pages, right? And I'm just like, man, these people are, cr these crazies, I can't, I can't mess with this. But on the other side too, someone said it perfectly, like the day that Black people actually get mad, cities will actually burn down. Like, well, like Shalia said, it's, it's restraint, restraint. because there's the next level is civil war and right. ethnic cleansing. Right. That's the there's, actual next level. I had a real conversation at work, you know, which I, one thing I like about this current time, I'm able to have very real conversations at work. And one of my coworkers was talking about the violence in the streets. And I was like, look, man, we tried it. We tried it with John Lewis. We tried it with Malcolm. We tried it with Megar Evers. We tried it with people you've murdered and beat since this. They were peaceful and you tried to, you've murdered them and tried to kill them. What do you expect the next person to do? Be just as peaceful coming through the door? They're not going to. And why would that? When this is all the people who've tried their best, you've killed. And they were the kindest of us who saw the best in you, despite the evil. They saw the best and they tried to reason with you and you killed them. And now this is what you're left with. And that's not our fault. 
because we tried. Kaepernick, right? Now people will try to say, remember, he's, he kneeled peacefully. Peacefully. And, and they murdered his character. And now people are like, why can't you? Well, he did it that way. And you said he sucked. Yeah. Right? You I ruined mean, his career. You wouldn't let him in play. The most, in the most recent history, the one country where violence succeeded, I wouldn't even say violence. It was like, it was the boiling point succeeded in the change of the structure with South Africa, right? Right. Like, yep. like that proved that when people reached their point, granted the population of black folk there obviously outnumbered those in power, um, but that showed it, right? That That's when the power structure lost because it, it got to a point where like, okay, we've, we've been going at this for how many years and you're still, you know, subjecting us to second class status in our own homeland. Okay, peace out. We're doing this. Right, right now, I am literally in the middle of a book on South Africa's history. Now, Manny, your family or you are from Haiti, right? I am. We are. Now, that's also an example of, unfortunately, being neighbor with a country that's not really, that still probably has oh. a thumb on you. But like, um, but the history of Haiti is kind of addressing slavery there um, too, right? Oh, complex. You know, um, complex. Yeah. Haitians get a lot of flack, but I think I, re- I hold them in the utmost respect for being, I mean, they were the second one to get their independence and they fought their independence, fought their way out of slavery. So I, I hold first, them in high, re- yeah. high regard. First black nation. Um, here's a funny story, right? It's like, you know, growing up young Haitian, like you had a lot of stigma. So you, you weren't as proud, right? Um, the boaters and just like, poor and destitute whatever right um but as you learn the history about haiti about how we overthrew the french and took over the island and how the u.s was the predominant force and reason for why haiti is poor to this day has been u.s involvement from the very onset where they're like nope if we recognize it as a country it's going to give all these slaves thoughts and ideas nope that's why Haiti became indebted to France because the U.S. fought against it and basically said you had to pay the French back for everything. Um, and then through the early 1900s where um, Haiti has some of the most beautiful beaches you can think of. And those beautiful beaches are owned by U.S. and foreign corporations, hotels and whatnot. And so the U.S. involvement, the U.S. actually invaded Haiti during World War II because they were afraid Hitler was going to set up something over there, kind of like what he was doing in South America. Like the U.S. Has, has had its hand in either regime changes or whatever means since the inception of Haiti, right? And so you have that. And then God knows, like I can tell you, look how Haitians were treated back in during, I think even the Clinton days where you had hundreds of people dying in rafts, but then Cubans were given free pass. They were sending well, Haitians back. It, 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 there's a, trust me, there's a conflict between Haitians and Dominicans and Haitians and Cubans because of the different treatment. Dominicans especially because there's actually a whole bunch of Haitian Dominicans that don't know they're Haitian, but because they're either lighter mulattoes or speak Spanish, like it's going on right now. There's like this whole kind of class battle of, you know, Dominicans punching, like pushing Haitians out and denying them citizenship and stuff. So there's like this complex history um, between you know, the two inhabitants of Hispaniola, which is the island, and just this history of, of Haiti versus um, the U.S. 
and even like what France just forgave their remaining debt that Haiti still owed all of 200 plus years later only because of the earthquake. But you know, and it's echoed, it was echoed a couple of centuries later with Cuba because Cuba wanted to go its own way with a different ideology and they're still un, under embargo from mm-hmm. the United States. Yeah. And so um, this is why you, I, I just I just laugh at people when people talk about America's so great, which it is like, look, I've had opportunities here I didn't have in Haiti. But the greatness about America is not so much like its power, it's the fact that people can actually stand up and say, we suck, let's do better. I think that's the greatness of America, right? Is that we are free thinkers and we can be constructive to do better. Not this faux, America's the greatest, we don't stink, we're the best at everything and therefore shut up. Like, no. And so that that's... That's the that's patriotism, right? Is the fact that you see things that are wrong and you want to change it versus these faux patriots that feel like you have to salute the flag, proclaim your loyalty and allegiance at all costs <laughs> in order to show your true. <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah. Don't don't get me started so, on this diatribe because I have to I have to go soon. <laughs> so I can I can talk about this. <laughs> yeah, you can wrap it up. I just want to. I want yeah. to tie it into Trevor Noah real quick, what you said, because we saw him um, in December and he was like, one of the things that he said, which is really funny and I hadn't realized, and now I think about a lot, is like how we are the only country who sings our national anthem to ourselves. Like, <laughs> we, like other countries don't do that. Like, you don't, we don't, you don't do that at the beginning of every game. Like, you don't need to do, yeah. Anyway, the whole idea of like proving that yeah. we are. And I now understand in. actually the Dave Chappelle joke that he made about Leon Gonzalez a bit better. Mm. And he was like, had he been Haitian, they would have pushed the raft right back in. Oh, hell yeah. <laughs> um, okay. You can talk to any Haitian and they'll tell you that too. Like, that's exactly how we all felt like. Right. Seeing it in lifetime, right? Yeah. Um, how that was playing out. So, okay. Um, we always talk about influences. Um, we've talked about how this. <laughs> this movie doesn't really age, right? So um, one one movie that I'm sure took some influences from this was Friday, just because it's like one block, one one day, one block, right? Um, and that's what Friday is as well. Um, do you guys think that iHeartRadio picked its name based <laughs> on this? Because the radio station, like theirs was We Heart Radio. Or We Love Radio. I, I love don't think radio. so. No. no, it's just a coincidence. Yeah, I think so. But I have to yeah. get going though. I know. Okay, so Manny, tell us. Can you tell us really quick what your favorite thing is about this movie? Just about do the right thing. Yeah. Uh, timelessness. It's timeless because it, it's it's um it's kind of like the ending, open ended, which which <laughs> matches where we are today, which is. Um, right now we are in the Mookie just to nope right now we're in the fight stage and we're trying to decide whether or not we were going to throw the garbage can through the the window I feel Mm -hmm. like that's how it's synonymous with us today is that we're a whole bunch of us in Mookie's showing the restraint um, and we feel the build up to that moment coming to where the we're going to throw a can through the glass. 
Um, we haven't reached it yet. People want to say we have, but it's mostly been like outside agitators that have done it. They're waiting. I feel like the country's waiting for that boiling point, like the Rodney King moment to happen. So, um, but yeah, I feel like this movie is timeless because of that, because it's, it's obviously very fitting to what's going on today. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Um, hopefully we'll pick another topic that you will want to come back for. Um, but yeah, so no. we're, we'll do our wrap up, but I know you have to go. So, um, no, this you. was awesome. Thanks for having me. Thanks Pleasure meeting on. you, Tim. You guys have a great one. Thanks for being here, Manny. Bye, Manny. Oh, six. Um, so Tim, what's your favorite thing about this movie? Um, Sal, I think he's just a complicated character. I think he's kind of all over the place. Um, so I think I liked him the most. Out of, out of all the characters in the film, I think Sal is kind of had these different sides to him. Clearly cared about his family, cared about Mookie to a point, but you know, underneath him, he still sort of had this racism sort of bubbling underneath him when, you know, so that's probably my favorite character. It makes him do a very you, American character. Do you just guys character. think, so I was just, I, I, I should have said this earlier. Um, Sal says all of that stuff and he's mad, but I do think that sometimes you say things that you don't even necessarily believe, but you hear them and you know you can use them and you do things to hurt people. And I was wondering if he really thinks everything that he said or if he was kind of like succumbing to the outside pressures and just repeating and mimicking the things that you hear and that you can say i think the point of Sal's character was that he did also believe those things as well okay. that, that he he was this person who appreciated the community and, and loved being there and loved having a shop there but he also had this other set of beliefs what are, what are his sons getting from that that's the thing, thing. I, his sons seem to get it from society not necessarily from him. Yeah. Or else they'd both be that way. I don't know. Tendon, what's your favorite thing about this movie? Radio Rahim. I think a lot of people in my life make comments on me walking around with the soundtrack. Mm. So I identified with him a lot. Actually, that's a good point. Kendon. It's a safe space that you can move around with. Luckily, we have headphones and phones, or, uh, cell phones and streaming devices now. Wow, I never really thought about that. It's true, like, Kendon, <laughs> he doesn't wear his headphones really in the house. Um, I think probably because I don't like when he's wearing headphones around me. But, like, it means that you know where he is because <laughs> there's always music or someone talking <laughs> wherever he goes in the house. Um, yeah, I never really thought about that about you. It's true. Um, Kendon, but you also had some critique of Radio Rahim, right, of, like, walking in there and playing the radio and whether he should have done yeah, that mean, or whether he was being rude and inappropriate. Considering like, about that out, it's, but what about him? It's, it's, it's a little ironic because it's an Italian pizza shop, but the phrase when in Rome, I think is extremely mm. applicable. Right. And, and Sal does say it right to his credit. Like there's no music in here. Um, he doesn't, he doesn't have other music playing. There's, there is no music playing. Um, so yeah, it is a little bit like you've entered this space and whose, whose space is it? And kind of a power dynamic there, obviously. 
also not being used to being, I mean, he was challenged, but he was challenged in his, in his way, right? Like with the Puerto Ricans, like we're going to turn ours up. You turn yours up. You won. Okay, fine. And then he's like, okay, I won. That was definitely a very fun scene. Yeah. Yeah. I actually like that scene. Cause like, as he's walking away, the little kid runs up and he's like, yeah, I won. And he's like, you see him um, excited about it. Uh, okay, so my favorite thing is the neighborhood in general. I really like the way that they focused around the block and getting to know the different characters. Um, the mayor, uh, mother, sister, or sister, mother? Mother, sister. Um, just, I, I really liked that um, aspect. I love watching them. Like, you know exactly what they're going to do, and then they do it. They turn on the fire hydrant and just start cooling off. It was interesting, right? Because it's the hottest day of the year and also a water shortage. Um, having having Samuel Jackson like observing everything as people are walking by. Like I always think of people in radio stations in like this closed room that they don't, they're not looking out the window, seeing their block and seeing people. Um, and I thought that was, that was cool that he could do that. And um, but yeah, I really, I really liked the block itself and the people of the neighborhood. Um, okay, we've we. I feel like we could talk about this for a while. We can't because it's nighttime, and we've already been doing it for a long time. Um, and we all have to go to work tomorrow. Um, so I think we need to wrap this up. Is are we in agreement? Yeah. Yeah. yeah? Okay. Um, one other fun fact that I did want to mention, I forgot earlier when we were talking about the making of this, is did you know that they hired the Nation of Islam security for security? Yeah, I'm not surprised. <laughs> yeah, they needed so that some of like the militant, um, what about their paramilitary? Is that what it's called? The Food they, of Islam? Yeah, yeah. They, they hired their para, the Nation of Islam's paramilitary to do security on set for them. Fun, fun fact, a lot of people do hire them for security. Oh, really? That's like a, just a normal thing? Normal thing. That's kind of cool. Um, okay. Well, I have a request for next week. Um, speaking of dancing in the water, um, I want to do flash dance. What do you guys think? I'm down. Yeah. Are you not a fan, Tim? I've seen it before. But, but not a fan? I can't even remember what happened in that movie. I think we find out what? if he's a if we find out if he's a fan next week. When what will we be? We'll be back.